How is everybody? <laughs> uh, tired, right? Everyone talks about how much they love this time of year. I absolutely hate it. So, uh, yes, I just want to be honest with you guys. It starts getting cold and everyone's like, oh, it's wonderful. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's ter- I have to wear shoes. Like, uh, it's chilly out. It's gray for like months. It's, it's the worst. But um, I'll take 90 degrees and scorching hot uh, any day. Yes, I absolutely love that. But Someone just booed me. Anyway, so, okay. (laughs) Wasn't here last weekend, but if you were here last weekend, uh, I was on my way. My wife and I had to go to a a memorial service out in East Tennessee, and we were on our way back, and I listened to Dave's message live. I listened to the 9 and a little bit of the 11. Uh, He hit it out of the park. He did a fantastic job last week. If you were here last week, yeah, Dave did a wonderful job. I made a joke to my wife. I was like, I should probably find some not as good speakers to cover for me when I'm gone because it makes my job harder when I get back, right? So, uh, no, he did a fantastic job. Um, this Friday, if you weren't there, if you're a man and weren't there, you, you really missed out. The men's summit was absolutely amazing. And, uh, yeah, the men that were at that, we had about, had about 300 guys show up, a little bit more than 300 guys, and um, Pastor Mike Lee spoke and, and just killed it. And uh, it was absolutely amazing. You could hear a pin drop in this room. We did a phenomenal job telling his story and what God's done in his life. It was absolutely amazing. It's just really neat to see 300 men get together and worship. And uh, it was really, really, really healthy. And then Josh Jamerson, who was up here singing, he taught a lesson on race and immigration on Thursday at Evident, which was also fantastic. So it was a really, really good week. Um, what I'm really excited about, where we are today in the book of Revelation is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. It's, it's very, very short. It's chapter 4. It's only 11 verses, and we'll get through it relatively quick today. But I'm going to dissect it maybe a little bit more acutely than I normally would a passage. And so there's so much information packed into just a short amount of verses in chapter 4, but it's a beautiful chapter, beautiful. Now, if you haven't been with us, We've already covered the first three chapters of Revelation, which is kind of its own section. That kind of stands alone, if you will. And most people can read the first three chapters of Revelation and figure it out pretty easy. It's not, there's not a lot of symbolism. There's there's not a lot of ambiguity. It's pretty cut and dry. It's pretty straightforward. It's seven letters that were written to seven churches uh, specifically for this time, but they kind of talk about Christianity in general and the struggles we have and the good things we do, but things we need to work on and but it's pretty cut and dry. And we talked a couple of weeks ago when we did chapter three, we asked ourselves what stops us from being honest. God knows everything anyways, so we might as well be honest with him and we might as well be honest with each other because the Bible tells us not only to confess to God, but to confess to each other, right? So what stops us from doing that? What we're gonna talk about today is we get into chapter four and chapter four marks a turning point in Revelation. It's all different from here on out. We're going to get into deep waters from here on out. Chapter 4 is about the throne room of God. John's going to go from earth to heaven, and he's going to get to see kind of the command center of everything, where all the commands that God makes, he makes from this throne room, and we're going to get to see that room. And John's going to do his best to describe to us the indescribable, something that, that man has never seen before, okay? So we're going to talk about the attributes of the throne room of God. So again, we're going to start treading into some deeper water, a lot of symbolism, a lot of things going on, and I'm going to do my best to kind of show you what all the symbolism means in chapter four. Now, something else, 
As I go through the lesson today, you'll notice there'll be a bunch of words in blue. Usually I use yellow a lot to kind of show things I want to emphasize, but you'll see blue. Kind of take note of the blue words, because at the end, we're going to cover those blue words again, and those are the different attributes of God in the throne room of God. So I want to make sure that those kind of pop out throughout this lesson, but you'll see them. Just kind of take a mental note, okay? So I'm going to pray. You should have a notes handout in front of you. It has everything we're going to say in the notes handout. Of course, everything will be on the screens around the room. If you have a smartphone, the Experience Community app, which is free, download that, click on services and sermon notes. You get the scripture, you get all of uh, the notes, and if you want to like, you know, if I get boring, you can flip over to Facebook real quick and write something and then go back to your notes, and I'll never know. I just think you're looking at the scripture, right? So you can get away with it. So um, all those things. And then if you have your Bible, we're in the very last book of the Bible, we're in chapter four, very, very short, okay? And we'll go through it and we'll break it down, all right? Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. I just want to thank you in advance, God, for what you're going to show us today. Lord, this chapter is striking, absolutely beautiful, God. I pray, Lord, that we can just meditate and think, and Lord, let this, this uh, chapter really just kind of absorb into our brain. God, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown yourself to us, God, that you have, you have given these words to John so we can get a better understanding of who you are, Lord. Let us really think about that today. God, we pray for every church in our city, pray for all the nonprofits in our city, and pray, God, that your kingdom continues to advance, Lord, here and everywhere else in the world. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to read a little bit. I'm going to go back and break it down to the best of my abilities, okay? Here we go. After this, I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, and this is the voice of Jesus, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and there was a throne in heaven and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Okay, so like I said earlier, chapter four marks, marks a shift. Everything is gonna be different after chapter four. Now, the book of Revelation is made up of smaller revelations or visions. The first one was chapters one through three, but that one is gone, right? That thought, that idea has kind of moved on. Now, as John is, is probably sitting in a cell on the island of Patmos with a locked door, he gets this vision, the second vision of an open door in heaven. And the voice of Jesus Christ says, John, come up here. I want to show you what is to come. Now, this is very important as we move on with Revelation. Everything from chapter 5 on out is the certain future. It's going to happen. It's written. God knows it. There's no changing it. It is going to happen. So everything we read from chapter 5 on out, it's most definitely going to take place. It is the certain future. Jesus says it, what, it, it is what is to come. It's coming. So as John was in the spirit, I don't like to say trance because I just think that word kind of connotates something that's not Christian, but he was in this kind of trance-like state. He was in the spirit. He's taken up spiritually into a heavenly realm, and he's going to see things that are beyond our comprehension. So what makes chapter four and chapter five difficult for us to study is John is doing his best to describe 
the indescribable, something that no one had ever seen before. But I don't want you to be afraid of that. We can make sense of chapter four and five. We can make sense of this scene. What it takes is it takes some work, some studies, some reading, some cross-referencing, some looking up some commentaries and word studies and knowing a little bit of history. It takes some work. The other thing it takes is it takes meditation. Now, I don't mean that in a weird Eastern philosophy, you know, sitting there and your wife hits a bell every 30 seconds. So, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about really deeply thinking about the scripture. Now, I'm not trying to make fun of you if you do this, but you know whenever people come up to you and they're like, Corey, I'm gonna read the Bible in 30 days. My first thought is, you're gonna miss a lot of good information. You're gonna fly through it so fast, you're gonna miss a lot of wonderful stuff. I advise you not to try to comprehend it that easily and that quickly. Chapter four is very, very short. I recommend you read chapter four, close your Bible and sit and think about it for about a half hour. Think about what it's saying there, meditate on it. And if we will meditate on it and think about it, God will start to help us understand his word more. If we will chew on it a little bit longer and think about it. But we can understand this. So the first thing that John notices in heaven is a throne. He's transported up and the first thing his eyes focus on is this throne. Now this is the command center of heaven. And though John never describes the throne, we know that thrones represent power, right? That's where kings and queens sit on thrones. Represents power, represents sovereignty. And this is the place traditionally where all commands of a king are made. Let me put this in perspective. This throne that we're gonna see today and that we're gonna talk about this throne room, this is the place where, G where God said, let there be light. This is the place where he spoke the universe into existence. It was from this throne and from this room that everything was, was put into place, that everything was commanded to happen. But John's emphasis is not on the throne. John's emphasis is the one who sat on the throne. Maybe this is a subtle reminder to us that heaven is about Jesus. It's not about everything else. It's not about the streets of gold and the pearly gates. It's not even about the throne he sits on. Heaven is about God. And that's what John wants to focus in on, God himself. So here comes the symbolism, a lot of it, okay? John tries to describe the one that sits on the throne. And he says, the one seated on the throne looked like jasper and carnelian stone. Now, jasper can come in a multitude of colors. You can get jasper in virtually every single color of the rainbow. What makes jasper different colors are impurities of other metals that get into the stone. For instance, if you see red jasper, it's because there's an abundance of iron that has turned the jasper red. There's all kinds of different colors. Now, the kind of jasper that John was talking about would have looked like a diamond. There was no impurities. It was completely crystal clear. Now, we know that that symbolizes clarity. It symbolizes brilliance. I don't mean intelligence. I mean a bright, shining light. It symbolizes purity. You could see through it. He also says that God looked like carnelian stone. Carnelian would be a, a really deep, rich red color. That would symbolize God's deep love for humanity. It would also symbolize this deep wrath against the evil that comes against his people. So God is a God of love. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of justice and passion, deep passion. And that's what he meant when he was describing him as these two stones. Maybe one of the more interesting things in this passage, he also said that he looked at the, the throne 
And there was an emerald rainbow that surrounded the throne. I don't know if that was horizontally this way or if it went around him this way. I don't know what that looked like. But the rainbow was not all the primary colors like we know of a rainbow to be. It was different shades of green. Now, rainbows in the Old Testament represented promise or integrity. You know, Noah, right, in the ark, and God made a rainbow and said, every time you see this, it's a promise, it's my integrity that I'm not going to flood the earth the way that I just did. So it symbolized a promise. So not only does it symbolize a promise, typically when you go back and study kingdoms and and, uh, uh, history, when you go back and study it, green often represented mercy. So I find it fascinating that the thing that kind of circles and envelops the throne of God is his integrity and his mercy, his gentleness, his kindness, his love and his grace for his people circles the throne, okay? I believe the throne room is going to look mid-century modern, kind of an Ikea theme. (laughs) Hopefully it'll hold up better than Ikea furniture. Around, (laughs) Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders, dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Now, here's what John is doing. When he gets to heaven, he quickly focuses in on the centerpiece, the throne. Now, what we're going to do for the rest of chapters 4 and 5 is John is going to pan out. So imagine if you walked into a room, you see something, you focus on it, and then you start to look around and you start to reveal all these other things that are taking place in this room, okay? So this scene that we're going to talk about is eternal. This is kind of crazy. It's going on right now as we speak. This is happening in heaven. It's been happening for longer than our brains can comprehend, and it will happen forever, right? Which, again, we can't really comprehend. As John pans out, though, he notices that around the throne are 24 elders seated, seated on kind of little mini thrones. Now, most scholars believe these 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament. They represent that. And then the other 12 represent the New Testament disciples. Now, more than likely, these are just representatives. It's not the actual men. Now, the reason why we say it's probably just representatives is John was looking at this scene, right? He wasn't seated around. He was watching this thing unfold. So it was probably some kind of angelic beings, right, that represent the old covenant and the new covenant. Now, something we learn from that is that it's apparent that God honors heritage. He honors things that have been done in the past, And he is also showing a progression that things also need to move forward. So we learn from that, and we struggle with this in our culture. We need to honor the people who have come before us, who have paved the way for us. We need to be very careful how we talk about the people who've come before us. Now this is, and I'm not trying to like get controversial with you, we're very quick in Protestantism to talk bad about Catholic people. Do you know why you have a Bible in your hands? Because of the Catholics. You know why we have universities? The Catholics. You know why we have orphanages? The Catholics. We have a lot of good things that have come from these people. So sometimes maybe we should be a little bit slower to speak. And maybe we should honor, even if they're doing, I know the Catholic Church is in disarray right now, 
but we should honor what they have paved in the past. And I know there's dark spots of everyone's history, but we need to honor those who've come before us. We need to honor people even living now today who have gray hair, who've lived longer than us. We should open the door for those people. We should say yes, ma'am, and no, sir, to these people. We should honor and respect those that have come before us while also pouring into the generation that is to come and looking forward and moving forward and progressing towards something even greater than we've ever done in the past. We need to do both, and we see that God honors both. Now, these elders were wearing white garments. That's pretty easy to kind of break down. Symbolizes purity. And they have gold crowns on their head, which typically symbolizes majesty or achievement, like a king would wear, right, or a queen. They're wearing these gold crowns, and they're dressed in all white. Now, later on, we'll read this here in a minute, these beings take off their gold crowns, and they lay them at the feet of God. Now, what this symbolizes is whatever majesty, whatever success, whatever achievement they have, they take it off and they set it at the feet of God because they ultimately know that all things come from Him. So they owe it to Him, if you will. A reminder that everything we have achieved in this life, we are to set at the feet of God knowing that we wouldn't have any of those things unless He allowed us to have those things. And so that's what they are symbolizing there. So around the throne was lightning, in peals of thunder. This shows power, this shows authority, this shows that we're dealing with something very serious. And then we get into something a little bit more obscure. It said that there are these seven fiery torches there near the throne, and these are the seven spirits of God. Now, if you've been with us for a couple of weeks, we explained what the seven spirits of God were. It's from Isaiah chapter 11. It's these different attributes of God, different attributes of the Holy Spirit. What are the torches, though? Well, all throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is related to fire, Acts chapter 2, that, that tongues of fire came on them, and there's always kind of this association with the Holy Spirit and fire. So we see that there are these fiery torches. Not only does, does the spirits of God have these attributes, but they're flaming, they're, they're, they're strong, they're powerful. We also know that the number seven shows completion or perfection, something that is extremely uh, uh, balanced in where it should be. So again, a little bit more symbolism there. Now, maybe the neatest thing from this passage, this, this section we just read, was John says, I looked at the throne and there was something like a sea of glass around it. Now, this represents awe. This represents how we should approach the throne with reverence and with humility, that we should approach this throne like we're walking on a sea of glass. I know what some of you scholars are thinking right now, but it says in the Bible that we approach the throne with boldness. We do. That word boldness, though, doesn't mean arrogance and like, I'm gonna go walk up to God right now. That means confidence. Confidence that whatever we ask of God, he's going to do for us. That's what that boldness means. It doesn't mean an arrogance. We walk to God with trepidation. We walk to God with awe, and we walk to God with humility, but we have confidence that he's a good God that loves us. Moses saw something similar to this. You should go back and read this in Exodus 24. Moses got a glimpse of God, and he didn't say that there was a sea of glass. He said there was something like a placid blue sky under God's feet. Isn't that amazing? That he saw God, and it looked like the sky, just, just crystal, crystal clear under God's feet. So we see this correlation between the beginning of the Bible and the very end of the Bible. Okay? I'll explain the disco ball. Give me a second. <laughs> 
Four living creatures, because that would, it would be more like hell if we had to listen to disco music all the time, wouldn't it? It wouldn't, any, sorry. Four living creatures covered with eyes in the front and in the back were around the throne on each side. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. And the third living creature had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and they were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Very famous line right there. Now, this sounds a little scary. If you see some people's artistic kind of interpretations of Revelation chapter four. Some of them look a little creepy. I actually have one hanging in my office that some guys did that I know, and, and it's beautiful, but it's, it's kind of scary too at the same time. As John continues to pan out from the throne, we see these beings that if you go back into the Old Testament, they're also mentioned in Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah saw a glimpse of what we're talking about here. It says that they have eyes all over their bodies and even under these six wings that they have. Now, they probably literally didn't have eyes all over them. That would be a little scary, right? A little weird looking. The eyes probably represent their ability to see all things in all directions. These were essentially the guardians of the throne of God. Nothing could sneak up on them. Nothing could overtake them because they have the ability to see all things in all directions. God is completely protected, not that he needs it, but from these beings, okay? That's what those eyes represent. They also represent something greater than that. It says that one was like a lion, one was like an ox, one was like a man, and one was like an eagle. Now, what this is talking about is it is showing us Psalms 150. Psalms 150 says that all created things are to worship God. Everything that was created worships and honors God. So what is flying around the throne of God, these creatures, these angelic beings, represent all created things by God. The lion represents all the wild, untamed animals. The ox represents domesticated animals. The man obviously represents mankind, humanity. And the eagle represents all things that fly in the air. All these things worship and honor God. And these four creatures that are flying around the throne, it seems that they are the closest in proximity to God. So you have the elders around the throne, but you have these flying things that are very, very close to the throne. And as they circle the throne, they repeat over and over and over again, holy, holy, holy. Now this word holy is hagios in the New Testament, which means inspiring, constantly fascinating. It gives a sense of never-ending wonder. So it's different when we sing these worship songs now where we say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That word holy literally means you are fascinating. You are awe-inspiring. I am just blown away by you, God. That's what that word means. So get this. Here's where the mirror ball comes in there. I was talking with Debbie, a good friend of mine that comes to church. We've known each other for a decade now, longer than that. And we were talking about chapter four one time, and she said this analogy that I really, really loved. She said it's like there's this huge mirror ball with millions and millions of these little pieces of mirror on it. And every time the light hits the mirror ball, you see a reflection that you've never seen before. You see the light in a way that you've never seen it. So imagine every time God would move, 
the light would hit God or they would see another facet of God that they have never seen before. And these angels that have been flying around God for a length of time that we can't even fathom in our brain, they are still blown away by things about God. They're still perplexed. And every time he moves, they see a different facet of him. And there's a different kind of reflection that comes off him. And they say, oh my gosh, holy, holy, holy. And they've been doing this for so long. So it's amazing. These creatures that have been around the throne, again, longer than our minds can comprehend, in close proximity. And though they've been around in close proximity for who knows how many earth years, right? Our, our kind of time around the throne, they're still blown away by God. So we have to ask ourselves, as time goes on, are we still in awe of God? The deeper we go, does it open more doors where we're more perplexed and more amazed and we find ourselves asking more questions about him? So we need to be careful not to miss the point. Christians get a little weird with angels when we start talking about angels, right? We start like making up angels that aren't biblical and we start making this hierarchy and well, these are here and those are there and there's these angels that do all these things. And you'll hear in like the hyper charismatic circles, well, we have, you know, car angels that ride with us in the car and yeah, all kinds of weird things, right? And so people say these things. But in this scene, it's not about figuring out the hierarchy. It's about noticing that these people are completely, these angels are completely devoted and in awe of God that God hasn't slowed things down over time, but the volume keeps continually being turned up. The longer they spend with God, the more fascinated they are with God. It becomes more intense. What that means for us, guys, is if you've been a Christian for five years, you should be more blown away by God than you were three years ago. If you've been a Christian for 30 years, you shouldn't be on cruise control. You should be closer to the throne of God than you've ever been. You should be more fascinated. You should be more enamored. You should want to know more about him than you did in the past. We should constantly be evolving closer to him and wanting to go deeper and deeper and deeper into who God is. We're gonna be with him for eternity if we're, if we're Christians, so I, we better be enamored with him, right? We better be awestruck by him and inspired by him. All right, last part. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne, and they worship the one who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, and they say, our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will, they exist and were created. So we zoom in again, back to these 24 elders. And when the angels flying around God give glory, honor, and thanks, the 24 elders fall down on their knees and they take off their crowns and they lay them down at the feet of God. Now glory, we hear that word in church a lot and most of the time we don't really know what it means. Glory means praise. It means praising God for who he is. Not what he's done, that's different, that's thanks. Praise is saying, God, you are good. God, you are all-powerful. God, you are all-knowing. God, you're the creator of all things. It's acknowledging who he is. Honor is respecting who he is. And then thanks is thanking God for what he has done. This is how we are to worship God. For who he is, we are to respect him and we are to thank him for what he has done. So they also cast their crowns. 
Though these beings are glorified humans or, or whatever they are, it's not really important. Though they're majestic and though they're powerful, they know that God's power is greater. Here's again where we miss it in this world. We think that our achievements are our achievements and we can do nothing apart from God's grace. So here's where my big hangup is right now in life. This is my, my shtick right now. Humility is the key to everything. It is the key to absolutely everything. Being humble enough to say it's not all me. Being humble enough to acknowledge that the world doesn't exist and, and revolve around me. Acknowledging that God's place is above our place. That he knows better than me. That regardless of what I think, if this word says it, this is right and I am wrong. Humility is the, it is the key for contentment now and it is the key for, for, for contentment in eternity. Without humility, we are destined to fail, right? Without humility, we are destined to fail. And so these elders are humble. They lay their crowns down and then they sing a song. God obviously loves music. There's a lot of it in heaven. And verse 11 is a song sang by the elders. It's called the creation song from the elders. In chapter five, we're gonna sing, or we're gonna hear about another song that they sing called the redemption song from the elders. And what they sing in verse 11 is they say, worthy, God is worthy to receive glory and honor and power because he's the creator of, and he has the power over all things. He's also sovereign over every future event. As we see in chapter five and on out, God is in control of everything and they worship him and they praise him and acknowledge him and honor him for those things. Now here's where it gets practical, okay? Chapter four of Revelation is vitally important because we learn a lot about God in chapter four. In 11 short verses, John goes into a place that no other person has ever been into and he shows us a side of God that we've never seen before. We get to see things and learn about attributes of God, attributes of this throne room. So think about it like this. The whole Bible is kind of this story of mankind and God getting closer. And at the very end of it, he lets one person from humanity, John, come in and see kind of the deepest inner workings of heaven. So because of that, the closer we have gotten to the throne room, the closer we get to understanding the attributes of God. Now, if you're a Christian in here, or if you're not a Christian, Christianity is supposed to work like this, that the closer we get to God, the more we start to act like God. So the more we pray, the more we read the word of God, the more we live by his commands, the more we honor and respect him and build a relationship with him, the more we start to take on the attributes of God. So all these blue words that I showed you today are attributes. And they're attributes that if we get closer to God, we start to take on those attributes. But unless we're close to God, we don't absorb and take on those attributes. Let me give you some examples. We talked about that the throne represents power. We often in our lives struggle with strength, the strength to do the right thing, the strength to keep going on. The Bible says that there will come a time when people's hearts will fail them because of fear. I think we're in there. I think that's talking about suicide. And I'm not trying to, I, I used to think when I was young, oh, a bunch of people are going to start having heart attacks because they're afraid. No, no, I think it's people checking out because they're afraid. And that's why we're seeing suicide at epidemic levels, because people want to get out of this life, 
because they've lost their strength. And I'm not trying to talk down to people who've taken their lives. I've had two good friends of mine take their lives, did funerals for seven people last year that took their lives. I'm not trying to talk down to them or say anything bad, but if we need strength to make it, we have to be source, we have to be close to the source of strength. If we're gonna have strength to make it day to day, to be the husbands and wives and fathers and mothers, employees or employers or whatever the case may be. If we need power, if we need strength, we have to be close to the source of all strength. Makes sense, right? If you want the battery to be charged up, it has to be plugged in, correct? And if we need purity, if we struggle to make the right decisions, if we're struggling to be sexually pure or, or not be greedy or materialistic in all of our conduct, if we struggle with brilliance, right? Remember the Jasper Stone? If we wanna be like the pure, brilliant Jasper Stone, we gotta be close to that. We gotta be close to God. If we lack in love, if we lack in passion and desire, if we lack in those things, God is love. The carnelian stone, deep red, right? We have to be close to that. If we lack justice, a love for justice, a love for righteousness, if we lack that, if we lack integrity, remember the emerald rainbow around the throne? If we're going to lack in integrity, if we lack in mercy and empathy, maybe it's because we're not close enough to God. You know why a lot of us lack in mercy and empathy? Because we follow CNN and Fox News more than we follow Jesus Christ. Let me, let me go there just for a second. We're, we're so quick to say, kick them out. We're so quick to say they're not welcome here. If you get into this book, guys, I know some of you are gonna hate this. If you get into this book, you're gonna think differently about immigration. Amen. I hate to be the one to break that to you and be that jerk, but before you say kick them all out, let's see how you respond when your kids can't eat. Let's see how you respond when you're worried about your wife getting raped every day when she walks to work. Let's see how you respond. Do you know what the Bible says? It says that mercy triumphs over judgment. That's what it says. It's the word of God. Maybe the reason why we look at people like they're a problem more than they're a human is because we're not as close to God as we need to be. I'm not trying to be political. I hate politics. Hate it. It's ruined so many of us. Politics. We're more dedicated to the Republican or Democrat party than we are dedicated to the throne of God himself. And we need to get back and we need to make sure that we are hanging out in the emerald rainbow of mercy and making sure that we love people and see people. Guys, I believe in rules. I believe in laws. I lock my doors at night. I know all the metaphors, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, our hope is to share the love of Christ with others so they can hopefully fall in love with Christ as well. Regardless of their color, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless if they have a driver's license or not. We are to show people the love of God. And I know some of you are hating what I'm saying right now, but that's a problem with your heart. And if you get, listen, and if you get into this, if you really get into this, I know it's scary. It used to be the law of the Jews to cut out a certain amount of their crops for aliens. It's right there. You can call me a communist jerk all you want. 
It's right there. You open it and you read it. I'll move on. No, please. Sometimes we lack in honor and sometimes we don't respect the past. We're so quick to say, well, it's my generation, it's my people, and we don't even think about it. Most Christians don't even know Christian history. We don't know that there was a council that different emperors would put together and they would bring in Christians who were missing sides of their face because the lions of the Colosseum had ripped them off. And that's why we have the book that we have. That's why we have the faith and the, and the, and the orthodox Christian beliefs that we have. It's because men and women died for that. And we don't honor that though. We don't even honor what our great-grandparents did to make sure that we have the freedom that we have in our nation today. People standing on the Statue of Justice talking about how awful of a country we live in. We live in a wonderful country and people paid for it, the freedom, with blood. We need to honor that. We also need to look forward. I love my grandparents and my great-grandparents, but I wanna be a better father than they were to their kids. I wanna be closer to God than they were. I wanna move society further along so we honor the past, but we also move forward. We also need to finish what we start. We need to be excellent at what we do. The wisest man that ever lived said in Ecclesiastes 7:8, is better to finish something than it is to start it. We're a generation that starts a gazillion things and finishes nothing. And the Bible says it is better to finish a project than it is to continually start projects. If we lack in humility, the sea of glass, right? We need to be reminded that when we approach God, yes, we approach him with boldness and confidence, but we also approach him with humility and we lay down whatever achievements we think we have earned, we lay it down at the foot of God because ultimately it all comes from him. If we lack in humility, we need to be closer to the throne. We need to walk in trepidation. I'm gonna get on a soapbox here. Because we're not as close to the throne as we should be, we lack in creativity. We lack in a sense of wonder and originality. Where have the great Christian artists go? And I'm not trying to be mean. You guys are gonna think I'm the biggest jerk today. But we don't write the best music. We don't make the best movies. We don't paint the best pictures. We don't do it anymore. But once upon a time, we did. When Rembrandt was making paintings, when Mozart and Bach were writing music, Johann Sebastian Bach said, the end of all music should be the glorification of God. The word Jesus was in none of his songs, right? He didn't even have words in his songs. So it doesn't have to be this overtly cheesy Christian talk for it to glorify God. It has to be something excellent. And at the end of the day, it gives honor to him because we've used our talent to do something positive and beautiful. So I wonder, maybe we're not producing the best movies because maybe we're worried more about money and church as a business than we are about glorifying God. Maybe that's why we're not making the best music. Maybe that's why we're not painting the best pictures and changing culture around us. It's because we're not close to the creator. We're not close, we're not walking around saying, oh, you're awe-inspiring. The angels, right, that floated around. Holy, holy, holy. Here's the thing, guys. The closer we get to the throne of God, the closer we take on the attributes of the throne room. The closer we are to God. Guys, and if you think I was being political today, I think you missed it. Listen, we live in a society today that thinks if we disagree, we can't be friends. I pity your existence if you only hang out with people like you. That's sad. That's really sad. And you'll never advance the kingdom of God. 
Because Jesus sat down by a woman one time who had been with five men and was living with a dude that wasn't her husband. He didn't talk politics. He didn't talk taxes or immigration reform. He didn't ask her if she was a Republican or Democrat. He just said, hey, can you get me a cup of water too and can we talk? And they talked. See, the closer we get to Jesus, the more we fall in love with humanity. The closer we get to Jesus, the more strength we have to make it through this world. The closer we get to Jesus, we become more humble people. Where it becomes not about winning an argument, it becomes about sharing the gospel. It becomes about loving people. It becomes about caring. If we lack in creativity, get close to God. If you lack in direction, get close to God. I've noticed in my life the times when I'm struggling the most with anger, the, the times when I'm struggling the most with lust or shame or guilt or the times when I'm struggling the most with pride or materialism are also the times when I'm not praying the way I should. It's the times when I'm not reading the word of God the way I should. Guys, maybe some of us need to take those crowns off of all the things that we think we've done and we need to lay them down. Maybe some of us need to get into the practice of getting on our knees before God or laying on our faces before God. Listen, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if your marriage is on its last leg. I don't know if you've thought about putting a gun in your mouth. I don't know if you've thought about quitting your job and splitting and leaving and just trying to run from your problems. I don't know where you're at, but I know the answer is always Jesus. I know that it is getting close to him. I know that if you struggle with how you look at people, if you will put yourself near the throne of God, you will also become a person that thinks more about mercy than judgment. The way you perceive people will start to change. The way you treat your wife will change. The way you raise your children will change. The way you spend your money will change. Everything will change when we get into close proximity with God. So listen, it all starts with us being humble and saying, God, I gotta lean on you. I can't do this. So today we have the opportunity. We have the opportunity. You're not gonna freak anyone out if you get on your knees in here. If you go grab your communion today and you wanna sit for a second, and if you wanna humble yourself, there's something about posture. The reason why we do this, sign of surrender, right? That's why we praise and worship with our hands up. There's also something about getting down on your knees. There's also something about putting your face on the carpet and being awestruck and humbled by God the creator. Whatever you need, get close to the throne. Whatever you need, whatever you need, get close to the throne. Read the word, talk to him, be honest with him and see if he doesn't change your life. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Hey, listen, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you are in this room and you're either not a Christian or maybe you're a new Christian or maybe, maybe you're just kind of on the fence, what the, what the heck's up with all this, right? Over here to my right, your left, Greg, he's got the glasses on. Come up here and talk to Greg. If you're new and you're just kind of like, hey, what, what do I do from here? I don't know what to do. 
If you need prayer, anything like that, come up here and ask Greg any question you'd like to ask him. There's also people on my right and left, men and women, who would love to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, the Bible says confess your faults one to another and fulfill the law of Christ. If you need to just come up and say, I've struggled with this, will you pray for me? We would be honored. We're brothers and sisters. Please, let us pray for you. Here's the last thing. There's communion all the way around you. Guys, as your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, I know we do communion every single week. I know we do it at all four services. We've been doing it for almost 10 years now. I want to, I want to encourage you. It's not just grape juice and a piece of matzo bread. It is symbolic that the same God that we talked about today gave his only son so you and I could approach the throne with boldness. So we would have an avenue to just call on his name. And this throne room that we talked about today listens and hears you. That he knows that you need mercy. He knows that you need strength and humility. He knows that you need all these attributes and he's willing to give you these. So when you take communion today, humble yourself and say, God, I'm sorry, help me. And I give you my word if you will just ask for help and obey him. It says in Revelation 3 that we just covered, he stands at the door and knocks. We just have to open the door. Get close to him. It will absolutely change your life. Lord Jesus, God, I love you so much. I love this church, God. I love everything, Lord, that you're doing in the lives of people around me. God, I pray that you stretch us. Father, don't let me view the world like the news. Don't let me view the world like social media. Don't let me view the world like my friends view it. God, I wanna view the world like you view the world. I wanna view society and culture and people the way you view people, God. Lord, I want to get closer to you, Father. I want all of us to get closer to you because we so desperately need your help, Father. If there are people in this room who've been suicidal, if there are people in this room whose marriages are right on the edge, there's people in this room, God, who just need help, Lord. God, please let them approach you with confidence that you're going to help. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Bless, bless, bless everyone in this room. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself.